morning, church. Feels very Christmassy in here, doesn't it? Hey, I just want to take a moment and thank our staff who spent 50, 60 hours last week making sure that this place, like, yeah, we can give them a round. Pretty incredible. Had a lot of fun doing that together. But uh, listen, if you're a guest with us this morning, my name is Daniel, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here at the church. And you know, these are the moments in our services where we come around the scriptures. We believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. We believe it is relevant for us today. So we take these moments as a community to come around the scriptures, to learn more about who God is, who Jesus is, and how are we called to respond to the saving message of Jesus, and how are we called to to learn to walk with the Spirit of God each and every day. And so with that said, I wanna invite you to stand to your feet for the reading of the word. You can open up to the book of Psalm. We're gonna be reading Psalm chapter 42 together. Let's read this. The word of the Lord would say this, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from Mount Midsar. Deep calls to deep. In the roars of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by my enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. I'm gonna say this is the word of the Lord. I'm gonna ask you to respond with, does anybody know? Thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this moment and this opportunity. Lord, to come together into this room and to open up your word and to see what it is that you would want to speak to us today. Father, I know that this is a busy season. I'm sure for some people as they walked in and saw the Christmas decorations, while yes, they thought it looked good, it also made them anxious. And so right now, Lord, we just lay all that at your feet. May we be present in this moment. May we hear from your spirit. May you move in this place. We love you in your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Thanksgiving evening, we ended our time together as a family with my mom wanting to give us each in the family a special gift. She handed us each a little bag, and as we opened up the bag, there was a CD. Firsthand, I thought, Mom, I don't have a CD player, but I'm going to play along. <laughs> and what she told us was that she had been taking the last number of months flying out to Boise to a friend's studio, 
and she recorded us a Christmas album of her voice. Very special. She let us know that when she was eight years old, her and her father had gone to a gas station and they were giving away Christmas albums and that became her favorite Christmas album. And so she wanted to go to the studio and record some of those songs and then some of her more recent favorites. And she wanted us to always have that so that we could spend these times as a family and we would always be able to listen to her voice. As you can imagine, quite emotional. And she asked us, do you want to listen to it? And so we said, of course, let's listen to it. So we had the lights down and the Christmas lights were on because my mom gets it all decorated. So when my kids show up, they get to walk into grandma's house and it's all festive. And so she hit play and we started listening to the first song and I just began to weep. Now, when you start to cry, there's a couple different options. You can kind of suppress it. (laughs) I'm fine. I'm good. Or you can just like, just let it go. And I just decided, you know what? Happy Thanksgiving. Let's let it rip. Like, let's just, (laughs) let's feel it all. And so I just sat there in tears through the whole 27 minutes of this album that she recorded, and I just allowed myself to go there, allow myself to feel the emotion, allow myself to think about the reality that there will come a point where we will be in that living room listening to that album, and my mom will not be there. And that's a very emotional thing to think about. But I didn't stop there. I just started, okay, well, just keep going. Where else do you want to go, soul? Like, what else are you feeling? I remember thinking about, you know, that afternoon, going to Safeway to pick up some rolls. And something I just noticed as I walked in, as I'm looking at people, and as I'm overhearing conversations, because people talk way too loud, (laughs) I realized there's just a collective sadness that people are experiencing right now. There's just a, a difficulty that people are experiencing. And from there, I just allow myself to continue to feel. I thought about some of our friends right now who so desperately want to have a baby. I thought about some friends of ours who just lost their child. And these are all really hard and horrific things to have to experience. And that's just in our sphere. Let alone all the other things that are taking place in our world today. The wars, the rumors of wars, the political wars, the the inflation that we're dealing with. I kid you not, I walked into the grocery store the other day to find an item. I went, saw how expensive it was and thought, no way, I ain't doing it. Someone's gotta put their foot down and I'm gonna say, nope, I won't buy it. I'm not gonna do that. It's kind of hard to be a human right now, isn't it? There's a lot of difficulty that we face and I think at the, at the core of it, We're a people that in a lot of way, we've lost hope. I think that collective sadness that I saw on the faces of people is that many people have gotten to that point to where they no longer have hope. They no longer know what hope even is. And that is actually a fantastic question for us to ask this morning, is what is hope? Or even better yet, what is it to hope? Now, in the West and in America, we have a, a thinking of hope, and oftentimes it's about, you know, positive thinking, right? I, I hope that this is going to transpire. It's wishful thinking. It's sometimes optimism. Maybe you've heard this statement, you know, the idea of the best is yet to come. These are all some people's 
interpretation on what it would mean to have hope. But I think that that word in reality has become quite benign in our culture today. Hope to me, it kind of reminds me of the word love right now. No one knows what love means anymore. I mean, like, I love my wife, I love Jesus, I love cheeseburgers, right? It just, there's something, <laughs> like, we need to recapture the meaning of some of these words. And I think hope is very similar, right? I, I hope the Seahawks win. I hope Jesus answers my prayers. I hope my kids don't get sick anymore this fall. My goodness, has that not been rough? But again, it's a word that seems a bit benign. What does it actually even mean to carry this idea of hope anymore? Now, there are people who are actually trying to recapture and to reimagine and to kind of infuse this idea of hope. One person in particular name is Dr. Chan Hellman. He's a professor at the University of Oklahoma, and he is the director of what is called the Hope Center, where him and his team for the last decade or so have been studying and trying to process through what exactly is hope. Now, I want to read you his definition of what they've come to the conclusion of, but before I do, I need to do a little bit of a spoiler. I don't agree with it. So if you, have, if you wanna you know, pull out your phone and take a picture of this definition, just don't, okay? I don't need you to remember this. Listen to his definition of hope. Hope is the belief that your future will be better than today and you have the power to make it so. His breakdown of achieving hope would look like this. Number one, it is having a goal, having a result, something that you are longing for and looking for. But it also is having the pathways, the understanding as to how to get to that result. And then thirdly would be the agency or having the own personal willpower to make that actually happen. Now already, I hope you're seeing holes all through this, but let's just kind of keep parsing it out a little bit more. See, what I might say is the secular vision of hope, when I use that term secular, I just mean non-spiritual, without God. And this secular vision of hope, I would express it in this way. It is future expectation with no guarantee based on present and continuous work spurred on by personal willpower. There's a future expectation but the reality is there's no guarantee. And it's based on your ability or someone's ability that you've put hope in to do a continuous work that would be spurred on by their own personal agency and willpower. We can see this definition play out in such statements from Jonas Salk. He's the medical researcher who invented the polio vaccine, but listen to how he describes it. Hope lies in dreams and imagination and the courage of those who dare to make dreams into a reality. Now, before we go too much farther, let me say this. There is nothing wrong with having goals. There's nothing wrong with creating the pathways and understanding how we would actually achieve that goal. There's no problem with having willpower to actually go after these things. I have goals and results that I want for my life. 
I have enough wisdom and intu- intuition to know I'm going to have to do these things to get there, and I'm going to have to have some willpower. I'm going to have to press myself to get some stuff done. But the reality is, I would not call that a recipe for hope. See, the problem with that is that vision, it relies on me on my personal character, on my personal ability and agency to make my dreams a reality. But am I, are you a viable vision for hope? I don't mean, I don't want to speak too poorly of myself, but if my hope relies on myself, See, because so much of my life is out of my control. So much of your life is out of your control. And hope that relies on my ability to manage my circumstances is a sure way to live a life that is disappointing. And it's interesting because the scriptures actually have a name for this type of disappointment. They call it hope deferred. Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Eugene Peterson, his translation of this passage, he says it in this way, unrelenting disappointment leaves you heart sick. How many individuals in this room, how many people do you know in your community, even in your family, that that might be a great way to describe how they are experiencing life right now? It is filled with unrelenting disappointment and their heart is sick. Pete Hughes, who's an author and a pastor of a church called KXC in London, he has a commentary and he talks about this verse. He says a huge amount of the sickness in our culture is caused by the huge amount of hope deferred. So what do people do with the pain? The common response is either to bury it or to numb it. Many people self-medicate with drink, drugs, workaholism, illicit sex, codependent relationships, obsession with food, gambling, and the list goes on. These addictions are the epidemics of our time. So many people right now are living in a state of disappointment and it is making their heart sick. And they're seeking after anything that will displace the pain long enough to cope for even just a little bit. Even if it's just a short period of time just so that disappointment and that pain will cease. But it always comes back. It's always there. So what I would propose this morning is this thought. What if the sickness and the disappointment is actually an invitation? What if the sickness and the disappointment is an invitation to recalibrate our hearts? What if we were to see disappointment as a revealer of misplaced hope? I mean, let's just go back to the text that we read from the very beginning. My tears have been my food day and night. How many might be able to resonate with that type of a statement? While people say to me all day long, where is your God? Does that resonate with anybody in this room this morning? 
You're going through a difficult time and maybe even the people around you who do not believe or profess faith in God or belief in Jesus, they even ask you that question. Hey, don't you do that whole church thing? Where is your God in the midst of the difficulty that you are facing today? The psalmist goes on to say, these things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Have you asked that question recently? Why are you so disturbed within me? But then here comes the invitation. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. See, the invitation for us is not to put our hope in our goals or to put our hope in ourself or to put our hope in a politician or to put our hope in some form of legislation that we think is going to solve everything. What we are called to do as people who profess faith in Jesus is to put our hope in God. And everywhere else that you will put your hope, it is going to end in disappointment. Because at the end of the day, when you put your hope into something else, you're relying on that entity's character to fulfill that in which you think it will do. And to be honest with you, most human beings will fail you in that regard. That's why I find it so funny when we get disappointed that a politician isn't going to be able to do what they said they were going to do. Yeah, because what we were doing is they had a vision and then we were trusting that they would have the willpower to see it come to fruition. But guess what? They're just a person. And everything they needed from you was from the very beginning. They needed your vote. And then let's just hope to see maybe something wishful thinking will happen with it. See, we are invited to put our hope in something so much more. So to go back to that secular vision of hope for just a moment, remember, it's a future expectation and it has no guarantee. It's based on present and continuous work spurred on by personal willpower. So this is what I'm gonna say is a Christian vision of hope. You can take a picture of this one or write this one down. It is a future reality. It is not an expectation, it is a reality. And it is fully guaranteed. It's established in the past and completed work of Christ, which spurs us on in the present. I wanna read that again. It's a future reality and it is fully guaranteed. It is established in the past completed work of Christ and in the midst of that, it spurs us on in the present. See, Christian hope is not rooted in circumstances. It is rooted in character, but not my character or your character. It is rooted in the character of God. The essential difference between secular hope and Christian hope is that secular hope is rooted in human character, but Christian hope is rooted in the person and the work of God. Now, while being a future reality and while being established by past work, I wanna make sure it's very, very clear. Hope is for the space between the here and the now. Eugene Peterson would say it like this. Hope is not about the future. Hope is about the present. It obviously has to do with the future, 
But it is a virtue which is cultivated in the present. It fills the present with energy. It connects the two comings of Jesus so that we are now a participant in them. We are not just remembering the one and believing in the other. We are participating in the continuity of the comings. We're getting Pentecostal this morning at Calvary. Tell you what. So the question that we have to begin to ask ourselves, okay, so if, if the biblical hope that we have is not in my character, but is in the character of God, it is secured, it's something in the future, it is established in the past, but now we're looking at this reality that it's something that actually spurs us on in the present, and it's actually something that we can begin to cultivate in our lives. So how do we cultivate hope? First, I would say it like this, by understanding the hope to which he has called us. Paul, speaking to the church in Ephesus, he would say these words, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. I wanna take just a few moments and I wanna share five realities of what I'm gonna call our scope of hope that is secured by the cross. These are things that we need to understand, we need to meditate on, we need to live in and live out of. They should be some of the first things that you think about when you wake up because I believe they will spur you on in an aspect, in a reality, in an energy of hope for your day. The first one is this, it's confidence. Hebrews 10, 19 through 23, therefore brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful." Fellow believer in Jesus, we get to walk in a confidence, not because of our own character, but because of the character of Christ, because of what Jesus did. We have been sprinkled clean from a guilty conscience. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, yet we get to say yes to the person and the work of Jesus. That gives us a confidence. That gives us something to sink our hope into. It's not about me being good enough. It's about Christ being good enough. I am justified by his blood and his blood alone. You will never be able to be good enough. And that's the ridiculousness of this grace that we have. Because it's not about my ability to do good or to be good. It's about his willingness to say, I'll die for you anyway. And so we have this hope that is built in this deep sense of confidence. The second one is coming. I mean, even the word Advent that we're talking about over this season, it comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming, the second coming, arrival. Yes, there was the first coming of Jesus where he laid in a manger, but then there's going to be the second coming of Jesus when he comes back as king. Titus 2.13 says, we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Friends, we need to understand that Jesus is going to come back. 
We are not waiting for something that's not going to happen. It's going to. I don't know when. You don't know when. I promise you the YouTube personalities do not know when he's going to return. But he is going to return. And he is going to make a new heaven. He is going to make a new earth. And Christ is going to rule and reign. And that is something, again, that we have to root our hope in. So confidence, the second coming, third is conformity. But our citizenship is in heaven, Paul speaking to the church in Philippi. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will do what? He will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Will you just ponder that for a moment? That this thing is going to eventually be like his body. Those of you who have pain in your body right now, can I just speak to you for a moment? There's some of you in this room who you probably have had pain in your body for years. Maybe most of your life you have had pain in your body. Can I just give you some hope this morning? Put your hope in God and one day when he returns, you will have a new body. And it will be exactly how it is supposed to be and there will be no pain in it. Friends, we need to understand that this life that we live right now, in the grand scheme of eternity, it is like this. It is so fast. And one of the most difficult realities I think that we have to face as a church is that sometimes we can't grasp hope because we are too focused on the now. So we have to long for his coming. And we have to long for the fact that one day we will have a new body. Now the fourth is coronation. Now all you young parents are probably thinking about Frozen right now, but just let me unpack this for a second. 2 Timothy 4, 8, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. I get a new body and I get a crown, okay. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Can I be honest with you? I don't know what that crown means or looks like, but I know it's good. I know I'm gonna have a new body in the new heaven and the new earth. I know I'm not gonna experience any pain. And I know I'm gonna have rewards in heaven. We spend so much time down here trying to find things that will appease us. I guarantee you the fulfillment and the satisfaction on that day will far surpass anything that we've been able to try to achieve in our own power. Lastly is this, companionship. I love this passage. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the older order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true.
those tears that you have continued to cry because of the pain that you've experienced, one day Jesus will wipe those from your face and they will be no more. The discomfort of this life that we oftentimes find will be no more. There will be no more death. I just was talking to a friend before this service who just found out that in the next 24 hours his mother is going to pass. And it's always that moment when you start to pray for an individual in that type of a situation and your heart just goes, I hope she knows the Lord. And once he confirmed that, it was like this sense of peace just washed over both of us. Because one day, that death will be no more. When Jesus died on the cross, yes, he died to defeat sin, but he died also to defeat death. All of us one day will die, but that is not going to be the end. There is an eternity to look forward to, everlasting life, ruling and reigning with Christ. No death, no mourning, no crying, no pain. All things will be new. And church, we have to cultivate that type of a hope. We've got to be the types of people who have that as the focus, that as the agenda, that as the vision as to where we are headed, knowing that it is rooted in Christ's work in the, in the cross and in the past. It is something future we're going to hold on to, but right now it spurs us on forward. So we cultivate hope by understanding it, as we just mentioned those, through those five areas. But then secondly... And I know this one isn't going to be nearly as popular. But secondly, we cultivate hope by persevering through suffering and enduring hardships. If you were ever told that if you come to know Jesus that all of your problems will go away, I'm sorry, but you were lied to. If you thought that this was going to be, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll finally, my life's not looking good. It's really difficult. I'm gonna try the church thing. I'll try this Jesus thing out. Hey, all that's still a problem. What's happening here? I know this doesn't preach well, but I have to say it. Suffering is part of the human experience. I mean, Jesus even told us, uh, to, us this. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. It's so interesting. I'm actually looking at faces right now, and I know your stories. And I know how much you understand this because you have suffered. Because you've gone through great difficulty. But see, what we need to understand about suffering and, and difficulty is that when we persevere through suffering and when we endure hardship, it actually allows us to deepen our hold on hope. And in fact, it will actually increase your capacity to hope. Let me illustrate it this way. Let's throw that picture up on the screen. Uh, this is Elon Musk's house. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> it looks like it could be. This is called Biosphere 2. The first one is the world that we live in. 
Uh, some scientists made this space and they did a bunch of research in it. And basically, like, it's this perfect ecosystem. Yes, a biodome. So here's what they learned, though, that was kind of interesting. Trees would begin to grow, and then they would topple over. Now remember, this is like a perfect environment, right? But the trees would grow, kind of reach near maturity, and then they would just fall over. So they want to try to figure out, like, why? What wasn't happening? And here's what they came to the conclusion of. There was no wind. See, what happens when the tree would experience wind is it forces its roots to go down deeper. You see the picture that this paints for us. See, when you face difficulty, when you suffer, when you go through difficult times, there is an opportunity. One opportunity would be, yes, we can just topple over and we can experience the the pain of it. And I'm telling you, the suffering that I know some people in this church are going through, it is worthy to fall over. But also there's that opportunity to allow it to sink us deeper into the reality of who God is. To have these roots become even stronger and stronger. And what will begin to happen in your life is that the way that you go about your life and the way that you endure suffering, it will not make sense to the people around you. And that will lead you to becoming the type of person that's spoken about in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Now, I'm gonna be honest with you. Oftentimes when I've read that passage of scripture, I've thought about all the ways that Daniel could be operating in life and people might be spurred on to ask the question, tell me about the hope that you have, right? Like, Daniel, you're just so loving. Tell me about the hope that you have. Or you just have so much joy. Tell me about the hope that you have. If you actually do good Bible study and look at the context of that passage of scripture, it's in the context of suffering. So now look at it in that way. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you in the midst of your suffering for the reason of the hope that you have. See, that's what a world that has no hope needs to see. It's not that they need to see a church that has somehow tried to escape suffering. They need to see followers of Jesus who are in the midst of suffering yet still have hope. And I know that's a tough one. But see, what happens if you become that type of a person See, you will not have a deficiency in hope. When you persevere through suffering and you endure hardships, it will cultivate into you what I'm gonna call a defiant hope. That the life that you live is defiant towards what would be expected. We need to be a collective group of people to where individuals would look at the way we are responding to difficulty and say, hey, that does not make sense. Tell me about the hope that you have. There is a young family in our church right now 
who I think is a beautiful walking example of this. Earlier this year, they got that incredible news that they were pregnant. And they were so excited because we're all excited, right? That's what we long for. We're, we're in that time frame. We have the job. We have the house. We're ready for the baby. And then they got to go to the 20-week ultrasound. And uh, there's always the excitement, but you also know that that's the ultrasound where you're going to learn a lot about what's going on inside your womb. And for them, it was everything that they would not have wanted to hear. And they found out that their baby girl was not going to make it. And so they made the decision that they're gonna carry her for as long as God will allow. On November 6th, they gave birth to her. Skylar Rose was her name, she was beautiful. And they got to hold her for an hour and seven minutes before she passed away. I can't think of anything worse than that. That is a level of suffering that I do not understand. That is a level of hardship that I cannot grasp in my own mind. But you know what has been so interesting is to watch this couple and their hope sink deep roots. The way that they are approaching this, the way that they are rejoicing in the midst of suffering, they're not rejoicing for the suffering. There's a difference there. Okay, we're still human beings. It hurts, it's painful, there's still tears. They were at our nine o'clock service, they were sitting right over there. I had to not look at them because I knew it would make me wanna cry. It doesn't mean that it's been easy for them, but they have chosen to press in anyway. And they are the types of people, I, I'm just telling you, watch over the next number of years and the amount of people who will walk to Cody and Nikki and they will say, Tell me about the hope that you have because it does not make sense. I mean, we've had times where we, we went to their home and we had a, just a time of worship and we're just bawling and it's messy and it hurts and it's hard. But in the midst of that, our capacity is growing for hope. And I'm just telling you, friends, that is what the world needs from the church right now. It needs to see us endure. The world does not know what to do with suffering because without Jesus, there is nothing to do with suffering but to try to avoid it. Let's show another way. You will face hard times in this life if you're not facing them right now. You will face the cancer diagnosis at some point. You will lose that loved one that you can't imagine what life would look like without them. No job is guaranteed forever. That house that you're so excited for is not ultimately going to give you the hope that you think it will. Put your hope in God. I want to invite everybody to bow your heads for a moment. 
One of the things that as I was just praying and preparing this past week, I really felt like we needed to have a ministry moment at the end of our service today. Oftentimes we will sing a song in reflection and responding, but I felt like it needed to go a little bit deeper this morning. What I know is that there's many in this room that you need a fresh revelation of hope. You're going through a difficult time. You are the one who just got the diagnosis. You are the one who just lost someone that you love. Your marriage is in a tough spot. You're longing for your child to come back home. That addiction has reared its ugly head again now that we've hit the holidays. And I'm just gonna ask that if you are in this room and you just need to respond to say, I am desperate for hope this morning, I'm going to invite you to be bold enough to stand to your feet right now. Yes, thank you for your honesty. Thank you for your willingness. Just stand to your feet. Just a sign of of saying, God, I'm surrendering to you. I am desperate for you. I need you in this season. I'm not going to try to avoid it. I'm not gonna try to pretend that it doesn't hurt any longer. I'm gonna sit in it. Yes, people standing up all over. You don't have to be shy this morning. Allow yourself to be seen today. Allow yourself to be known. Now here's the next layer to this. As a church, we've been talking about this being a place to call home. We've been talking about Calvary as a place that is a family. Well, the reality is if we're a family, then family does family type things. And so what I'm gonna invite is that everybody who's sitting right now, would you open your eyes and would you notice someone around you who is standing? And what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a few moments and we're just gonna begin to stand up with them and you're just gonna start praying for them. You don't have to even know their name. You don't even have to know what their situation is. You just start to pray. So let's do that right now. Everyone to your feet, find someone who is standing up. If you are standing, would you raise your hand? Just be bold. Now, and just start praying for these people. Put a hand on their shoulder and just start praying for them. Holy Spirit, intercede on our behalf in this moment. You know the situations going on in this room, God. We come together as a family in this moment and we cry out to you, Lord Jesus. Move in this place.